0: Girl, real talk. This whole it's a new year, time to reinvent myself trash is not the vibe for 2024. You can find someone who loves you for you, as you are. You don't need to read a stack of self-help books, only eat sad salads, or like
1: start meditating at 5 a.m. to be ready for dating. So yeah, my advice
0: is to download Bumble and find someone who embraces you the way you are right now. Let me know how it goes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Big box retailers led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a bill in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. Senate Bill 1838 would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, visit handsoffmyrewards.com and tell them to oppose credit card routing legislation paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition.
1: So astrology like located me in time and space and I felt like I existed for the first time. I was like, "Oh my god, someone sees me. I actually have an outline. I am different than everyone else and I'm made up really specifically and so is everybody else. So I got to try to be me and not anyone else here."
2: I'm Jordan Kistner, and you're listening to Thresholds, a weekly series of free-ranging conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterwards. Quick note. I, Jordan, am taking a brief break from hosting this spring to work on some other projects. And while I am off mic, we are really lucky to have Mira Jacob occupying the interviewer seat. Mira is a novelist, a graphic memoirist, and an all-around brilliant mind and excellent conversationalist. She was our very first Thresholds guest, and I have never stopped wanting to listen to her talk. I also was excited by who she wanted to talk to for these shows. I'll be back later in the spring, but until then... Mira's got the host mic.
3: I read my first Channy Nicholas horoscope in 2014 and thought to myself, what the hell is this? My second thought was more. Find more. Where the horoscopes i had grown up with had a kind of mirror-mirror-on-the-wall vibe that always left me feeling like a desperate narcissist or a shrewd narcissist, Channy's landed differently. Choosing clarity over obscurity, groundedness over woo-woo, her voice was that of the practical revolutionary. Yeah, she pinpointed why my extreme Capricornness left me on the occasional spiritual mountaintop, deeply alone and muddling through it. But she placed that trait in the context of a larger community, a shifting political landscape, a country that was fast becoming Trump's America. I clung to her words for the entire three years I drew my memoir about raising a brown boy here. I was hardly alone. So many of us found Channy in that moment, found something both hopeful and actionable in her reading of the stars. I still look to them at the beginning of each week as a kind of cheerful compass, a wink across the universe from a fellow traveler who wants us to understand how the sky at the time of our birth gave us our own unique imprint and how that imprint can change the systems that are hurting all of us. If that sounds like a lot for a horoscope, it is. And her book, You Were Born For This, is all that and more. I'm also deeply addicted to her app, which I cannot recommend enough. I was thrilled to talk to her.
1: You know, I think meeting my dad's second wife's mother, her name is Anita Levin, and she was one of the meeting her was one of the most formative moments of my life because she was the first person that I met. I was 11 years old when we met and she was the first person that I had ever met that felt like an adult that was trying to be an adult, you know, like that an adult that was, working on themselves and trying to help other people. And she was a Reiki master and was someone that was just like an incredibly wise and powerful person. And I think she was one of the first women that I met that was really in her power in a way that wasn't like my grandmother was really powerful but I don't think she was really conscious of her power or, or, you know, came out of kind of a different era. And when I met Anita, she was, she just had a presence about her that was very unapologetic and was clear. She made it clear that she was, working on herself, like there was a a conscious awareness to her, like nothing got by her. And so I went from, you know, mostly being surrounded by adults that were trying to be unconscious, and they were really in their addiction, to meeting her, and she was doing the opposite. And it made me feel for the first time in my life, like another way is
3: possible. This is so interesting, because one of the there's two things that you're saying that um that honestly would not have occurred to me as a kid. And one is that is that this was an adult who, I think you said, was trying to be an adult, was showing up as an adult. But mm-hmm. also part of that was that she's a work in progress. She's actively working on herself. Is mm-hmm. the, are those the two things? Yeah, yeah. Had you, and you said that other than this, other adults in your life had not kind of shown up that way. Did you just say that they were in their addiction? Yes, so most of the people... I grew
1: up in a small town that was very much a party and it was very much like the remnants of the sixties and seventies that just folded into the eighties and just kept going really. But (laughs) everyone was really trying to, everyone was very much like a, if we want to use like Jungian terms, like Pu'er, Puella um, Peter Pan type characters, everyone wanted to, remain young and when you're caught in your addiction there's a lot of negating of responsibility which is the antithesis of maturity so when i met anita i was like oh this person feels mature in a way that is and she was also very gregarious and funny and you know very much like uh also had a very youthful spirit but i think it was about wanting to be accountable for who she was and what she did and the energy that she brought into the room. Whereas I grew up in a party. So everyone was just kind of broken into a million different fragments. Cause you never know who you're going to get when you're surrounded by people that are in and out of being inebriated. Yeah.
3: I'm so <clears> curious <throat> about the party. And also, who are you then at the party when you're growing up in it? When you're growing up in a
1: party, you're either you're invisible or you are a bummer. <laughs>
3: oh <my> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Those are not great choices.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mostly you're invisible. But if you dare to say anything or take up space, then you're a party pooper. You're a bummer. You're, you know, you're crashing the party. You're a voice of... Maybe not reason, but you're a voice that reminds the people that are in charge of you that they actually have a responsibility to someone besides themselves that they're not adhering to. So you are the repository of a lot of things. You're also, if you're the only one conscious at a party and you're a child, then you're also absorbing a lot of stuff that's way beyond your years. Yes. And you don't know how to make sense of it.
3: Okay, so this goes directly to one of the questions that I have about the work you do, and specifically, I think one of the things that we've talked about before. And I know I write you every once in a while to be like, "This one especially is amazing." But (laughs) there is a there is a really strong voice in your work, right? There's, Mm -hmm. and especially as somebody who, as you just said, if you're the if you're the if you're the one that's speaking up at the party, you're either invisible, well, you're either invisible or you're the one that's speaking up, and therefore you're a bummer. Mm-hmm. But the thing that you do constantly in this very you know highly entertaining, sometimes sometimes disarming, sometimes really straightforward, and then I'm just on the floor listening to you, tell me what it means that <laughs> my Mars is retrograding um, <laughs> but but you do this thing where you very consciously interrupt the flow of what everyone is you know just everyone else is just sort of running through their day unthinkingly doing things and you speak directly to that and say here's something to think about and here's something else to think about and I'm so curious when that started happening for you like when did you realize that this was something that you wanted to bring into the world
1: I think I came to it really kicking and screaming in a lot of ways Oh, tell me. (laughs) Well, you know, I dropped out of three grad programs, I think, in a row. I tried to be any and everything else but an astrologer. And it was the only thing that worked in my life. So eventually I just succumbed to it and then just started winging it. You know, like I always have the astrology to talk about. And because I've been. Obsessed with healing and healing modalities since I met Anita, which was when I was eleven, and like I learned that there was you know such a thing called therapy, and you could go to people and like maybe feel better or learn some skills about how to be a human and like live a life. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I've been like obsessed with that. Like, what does it mean to heal? And so, and and then I also was very much into acting and performing. And so I feel like both of those things coming together has given me, both of those things show up in my work now in ways that I would have never known back then, but that I'm like, of course, course, like this is, that was really helpful. All those acting classes were actually really helpful for me learning how to deliver a statement about something because that's now literally what I do, but none of this was planned.
3: All of it was an accident. Okay, so wait, three. You dropped out of grad school three times. You just said, yeah. Could three you grad said, schools in a row. Okay, what? What for? What grad school for what? I was
1: going for my NFT marriage and family therapist. Got you. Okay, my so license. you yeah. knew
3: it was you knew it was going to be in healing of some sort. Yeah, at that uh-huh. point, yeah. Uh uh-huh. And then um, the astrology comes in how?
1: Well, the astrology was always there because the first time I got a reading, I was 12. So I met Anita and I got an astrology reading basically at the same time. And she's the reason why I got an astrology reading. She sent my dad and his new wife, her daughter and their kids and me to a group astrology reading. And the astrologer just like, you know, laid it all out for us and was like, this is who you are and that's who she is. And this is who he is. And that's who, and I was like, how do you know that? And you know, when you're a kid, you just think you are everybody and everybody is you. And so when someone's able to distinguish people from each other, at least for me, it was mind blowing and also wild because I think I was always trying to figure out who to be like, or like. How do you be an adult? How do you be a person? Like I didn't, I didn't felt like I didn't come with an instruction manual. I know I just sound like such a Gen Xer right now.
3: Um, (laughs) You sound like a human to me. What does that (laughs) say?
1: (laughs) Like none of us got parenting, so we all just ended up like, I'm really lost. It's weird to be a person. (laughs) Um, And so astrology like located me in time and space, and I felt like I existed for the first time. I was like, oh my god, someone sees me. I actually have an outline. Mm. I am different than everyone else. And I'm made up really specifically. And so is everybody else. So I got to try to be me and not
0: anyone else here. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Big box retailers led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a bill in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. Senate Bill 1838 would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, visit handsoffmyrewards.com and tell them to oppose credit card routing legislation paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Wow. Wait, the first time you
3: realized that, was that scary or empowering or both? I think it was
1: just, I was so hungry for anything like that, that it was just like, you know, having a drink of water in the desert. because So it wasn't like even like a conscious thought. It was just like, I need more of this. What is this?
3: When you started with astrology, you were writing. I've seen you make this... Uh, to, well, that's how I first experienced <laughs> you, I should say. I experienced yeah. you first through the writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then since then, I have watched you sort of emerge more and more across social media as a person who can also speak um, very eloquently to mm-hmm. the moment. Sometimes I'm like, how did you How did you do that in one take? Um, <laughs> but I'm curious, were you doing both at the same time and I was just seeing the writing and you were also doing the kind of spoken... Were you doing readings for people at the same time where you sort of had to inhabit you had to kind of have the thoughts and inhabit them and be able to speak them in the same moment? Yeah,
1: I mean the readings came first. Like that's what I did first. I would give a sit down and give people readings. And then I started writing horoscopes and I was like, Oh, I really like writing. And then I was doing writing and workshops all the time. And so I started to develop that muscle. And then everything kind of just got wild and too big. And then we ended up building, you know, at Tech company and launching an app. And now I have a team of writers that, you know, I've got a director of content and she oversees like another team of writers. And so within like that's happened within the last two years. So I haven't written in like a year and a bit, like uh, consistently in a professional astrological kind of sense. So my writing now is a private thing like I'm writing something but it's nowhere near you know the stage where I would put it anywhere in the world where anybody else would see it so I'm writing for myself and I'm not quite sure what it's going to turn into how is that it's really oh it's so good but it's so uh, intense and very cathartic really healing because I'm just showing up and writing about what's going on for me that morning. And then I've got a kind of structure that I'm gonna move into, but I'm not quite there yet. So I'm what I'm what I realized I was doing is I'm just like kind of pouring out whatever's there onto the page and then seeing how it's gonna take shape and then and then I'll start writing into a structure. But I think I kind of just needed to like let out like a, a primal scream in writing form.
3: Okay. I have a question. Go with me for a minute. Yeah. Um, so I used to write pop-up video for years. You remember that little mm. show, the bloop, and it would, yeah. it would tell you about the music video. Okay. So when I right. was doing that, one of the things that I noticed is that because I was writing with the audience in mind, and because mm. it was such a kind of tight form. Mm-hmm. Okay. At one point, I'm not joking. I woke up in the middle of the night. Somehow I had convinced myself in my sleep that if I held my pillow above my head while I got my comforter under my feet, I would have written the perfect sentence. I don't know why (laughs) this made sense to my sleeping body, but it really did. And I think it was just the amount of duress I was under Mm -hmm. with trying to write for an audience. And One of the things I noticed when I went back to grad school was um, because I left to go to grad school, which, believe me, everyone was howling at that idea. Mm -hmm. But when Mm -hmm. I went back, it took me a while to lose the feeling of being watched as I wrote. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to Mm -hmm. lose the feeling of like I have been doing this kind of writing for consumption Mm
1: -hmm. and
3: now it's just me. Did that happen Mm -hmm. for you at all or was it just straight to relief?
1: No, it's, it is, it's much harder to write without that kind of, well, it's like, once you're used to that kind of training, like this is the, this is the thing, this is the little trough I have to fill up. And then I go on to the next one and I go on to the next one. It's really like, I call writing horoscopes, the bartending of writing. Cause you're just like, got to write 12 of these. And then I got to write them again next week. And I got to write them again next week. Its just like, you know, do the dishes, pour the drinks, do the dishes again. Um, obviously, I also bartended a lot in my life. <laughs> 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 stable money I, I dream about it, that's what I dream. I'm like, I can always go back to bartending uh-huh um, and uh yeah, so then when I go to write other stuff, it's like it's like sloshy, like it has no form, there's no point to it. I babble a lot until I can yeah, grasp a sentence. It's kind of annoying at first because I don't know what I'm supposed to write. You know, I'm just like, okay, I'm here at the page, kinda of like morning pages. And just seeing what kind of what comes out. But it's it's not as there is an there is an arc like the beginning, middle, and end like I'll start somewhere where I'm really cranky generally. And then write about that, and then kind of move through something. And then by the end, I feel better. It's kind of like a meditation.
3: I have I have some word questions for you. Just one of the things right away, and and you, um, I think this is one of your many bios. It's it says astrologer astrologist is not a thing, or it used to say that. <laughs> <laughs> can can you tell me just what when did that come up, and when did you decide that that needed to be addressed? I don't know because I'm an asshole. Um, yeah, yeah, that's I what
1: I was thinking. People- no. You know, like some people say astrologist. I don't know. I, there's a friend of mine who did a podcast on it. I haven't listened to it yet. There's a whole like discussion about it. Most people that are astrologers call themselves astrologers. And most people that aren't astrologers or don't know that much about it say astrologist. Uh-huh. That's, that's as far as I go with it.
3: Okay. Because I feel like for me, when I read that, not knowing you before I knew you, it was a tip off to this, to the idea of the seriousness of the work. Honestly, I was like, oh, we can't, we can't say astrologist. We have to stay astrologer. And this person knows that. And so now yeah. I'm signed up to know whatever else this person knows about this thing that I also <laughs> don't know. Right. <laughs> I, it really did that kind of, that the sort of magic work of like, I am an authority and this is what I, and I'll start here. I'll start by titling myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> It just like rubs um, me the wrong way, you know, when someone says your
1: name incorrectly, and you're like, "That's not how it's pronounced." That's how yes. I feel when someone says astrologist. But what do I know? Yeah,
3: no, I'm, yeah. What do you know, foremost astrologer? <laughs> um, so the other question I have is because there are so many that I think of um, as kind of channisms. My favorite is but and also <laughs> you were going to say
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to say it anymore because I had like people. Like quoting me and making art about it. I was like, oh
3: my God, become a meme. <laughs> but it's but so yes. good. Well, tell me about Button <laughs> also. Please tell me about Button also. Well, I'm such a
1: fanatic about language. And I'm always trying to relay a message in a way that is going to speak to the people that I'm speaking to in my mind. And I'm never wanting people to remain in fear or think that anything has to end up in one specific way. And because I'm not talking to people in person, I'm just like babbling away in my recording booth and trying to translate the astrology to them. I want to like open, I want to keep us open to how things can turn out and to what we can do with the moment. But mostly it was just an unconscious thing.
3: Um, have you ever had anyone get upset with you about oh my god a horoscope? Everyone's upset with me.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the world is a place of people that are upset with everybody. Um, yeah, I get people all kinds of upset with me about all kinds of things. Always, always have
3: because they feel I think be that you something wrong. If, okay, okay, if, if but that is wasn't. that it? When they get upset with you, is it because they've they feel like you've prescribed a future that they don't want or what is the general level of upset about?
1: Yeah. Generally people are like, why don't you just stick to the astrology lady and stop talking about politics?
3: Which I I saw that yesterday.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did someone say that to me yesterday? Yeah. I think it's hilarious because politics are people and they, that it is how we live and exist in the world. We live in structures and systems. So I just don't, I'm like, that's so funny that you would want me to not talk about how, what impacts us. (laughs) Like our, or what holds us here. Like what, Uh yeah. So that's what people mostly get upset with me about. Which I love because it means they had an expectation of who I was and what my work was about. I don't know how they missed that piece, but I love making people... I love disappointing people in that way. I think it's really important for me to be, be disappointing to you because yeah. you don't know me and you shouldn't, you know, think you know anybody. And I think when you get disappointed with someone, you weren't seeing who they really were in the first place. So, especially when it's with a stranger, you know, it's different if you know somebody, but if it's with a stranger, it's like, yeah, I'm complex and disappointing. And, it's that's good for
3: you. This is this is by the way, this is hitting me in all the therapy spots. Just want to say I had to like hold <laughs> that one for a minute. <laughs> I'm gonna go say that to myself while, when I'm driving home. You're <laughs> <laughs> disappointed with someone's because you didn't see them. But really, yeah. there's also something like I I feel like the space that a lot of people hold for astrology is like somewhere between like w- witchcraft, um, hocus pocus, mm-hmm. and like a fortune cookie, right? There's this, yeah. there's this way yeah. in, which, in which you are not supposed to um, take it seriously or take mm-hmm. it to specifically talk about these many systems that mm-hmm. we are under the boot of. And this is exactly, you have gone exactly in that direction. I did not see that actually in astrology. Before, mm-hmm. were there other people that led you to that, or is that something that you came to on your own? I have a
1: really hard time being anything but who I am. So, and that's a very fortunate and very unfortunate quality about me. That um, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to be really honest about it. And so when I started writing. I was like, okay, it was because I saw things in the world that were reflected in the astrology and I've always been a person that's really interested in the world and also in injustice and because I grew up in the way that I did where no one wanted to see the truth, my whole being is bent towards but look at this thing, this is what's causing us pain, or this is where the suffering is, why don't we look here and solve it? Because I'm, I'm still trying to like, fix my, you know, it's part of my way of being in the world, because I was trying to deal with my own trauma, I think. So there's, there's like a lot of similarities between Growing up in a family system, which, you know, most of us do that you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe the whole family is ignoring this thing. And looking at the larger system, and how brutal it is and saying, how do we live like this, like we could fix this. And that frustration, you know, I had, and a lot of us have as kids, is like, we grow up and we're like, Okay, I'm going to try to do something about this. And so That was how I got into writing because I was like, well, my lens is astrology, but I'm looking at all this other stuff and they match in this really specific way. And that I found interesting. And so I think it was just always part of my own therapeutic process to talk about what is not working and what could be.
3: Do you remember when you wrote your first horoscopes?
1: I. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would write, I think blog posts more. Like I would mm-hmm. write about about what was going on. And then I w- and then I started writing horoscopes and they were just so long and unedited <laughs> and rambly and horrible, I'm sure. <laughs> and then I started to like convince my friends to edit for me and it was like a long process and then when Donnie and I got together, she became my editor and saved me. And anybody who wrote who read me
3: we are talking about your wife. Mm-hmm. Yes, who? Right. Um, just, yeah. just in case people don't know, um, yeah. who also shares this same need to both truth tell and interrupt and rethink the structures. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Is yeah, that she is, is that a fair way to say that. Yeah,
3: Sonia Passi.
1: She is the CEO of our of the company Channy Nicholas Incorporated that does the app and all the other things, and then she also runs a nonprofit called free from and sh- that nonprofit works at the intersection of gender-based violence and economic security or economic injustice via gender-based violence and she is a brilliant thinker and activist and doer that knows how to solve and make way for systems change i think yeah.
3: She moves right to solution. Yes, I know this too. I love it. It is, <laughs> it is, it is one of her amazing qualities, right? Yeah, um, yeah. To sort of see through it. And I sometimes think like, how did these two people meet each other? It's amazing. Um, <laughs> were there actual lightning bolts around them? But I think the thing, that you're, the thing that you're saying about when you're first writing the horoscopes, I'm really curious about how long it took you to feel like, oh, this is my... This is my voice. I have found my voice. Because I know that for me, like, even when you were saying that, oh, it was long and it was rambling and it wasn't really the thing. And then there's, so there's that person. And then there's a the person right now who, if I were to say, Channy, you have to write the 12 horoscopes right now. You would know how to go into a room and mm-hmm. dial it in right away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the gap between those things. I'm always so curious about this because it's always to me about how did, like, At what point did you understand? No, this is my voice. And this is the thing I have to say, like, this is where I feel like I'm most at my true purpose. How far into it? Did you feel that feeling? I
1: don't. What I know, for sure, is that you have to do things at least a million times before you have any idea what you're doing. And like every time you do something that you're going to do again, like sit down and write 500 words or sit down and write 12 horoscopes or whatever the thing is that you're doing, every time you do it, you're energetically coding your system for the kind of time, talent, energy, thought, whatever. It's, it's going to take physical energy, emotional energy, intellectual energy, all of it. And so I just know that every time I do something that's repetitive, I'm mapping that in my being and that it's going to be easier next time and clearer next time, just a little tiny, like nano fraction easier, but enough to, to have like a little bit more flow. And it doesn't mean that Sundays writing isn't like, just an avalanche of despair and hardness. And then other days it's like, Oh, okay. I wrote those really quickly. Or I wrote that thing really quickly, but still all of those little moments are so important. And so I think I knew that something was working when people would like come up to me and say things like, I was just so shocked that anyone would read anything that I wrote. And so I was like, Oh, well, this is, this is landing somewhere. And then I felt a responsibility to the art of writing itself. And then I started to build a relationship with my talent in a way that I never had before. And in a way that I felt was reciprocal. Like I had done other things that were close to my talent that were good, but nothing that ever felt like this is mine. And when I started to write, I was like, oh, this is mine. This is what's always been here. This is what I've always wanted to do. This is is that part of that gift or that talent thing that I've been given that I've got to respect and foster and nurture.
3: When I think of building a relationship, Mm -hmm. I think of showing up right there's a part Mm -hmm. of it's just like showing up for the work and this as kind of disparate as that work can be what does it look like for you to build a relationship with your talent what did that look like
1: you got to show up you just you have to be consistent that was that was how I did it I had to be consistent there were I mean, in the beginning, it was like I'd write three sentences and then lie on the floor. (laughs) I I can't go on, like, just so ridiculous. And like, the kind of mental, you know, the kind of energy it takes sometimes is just bananas. You're like, I'm just writing 400 words. Why is this so hard? But, you know, your brain gives out, there's things that happen. You got to deal with life, all that other stuff. So it's just like, come rain or shine come good days and bad, come all of it, I got to write and I got to put it out and then I got to get over it and then I got to do it again. And so it was like being in that mill was really helpful.
3: Um, Can we talk for a second about the responsibility part? Because I know there's the responsibility of showing up for your work. Also, this thing that you were talking about before, you would see people that would say to you, oh, I read that and this is how it impacted me. Mm -hmm. Did you start feeling a responsibility Toward your readers at some point, and that that changed the way you felt about the writing. Definitely felt a responsibility,
1: and it changed because I mean it. it, You know, there's more pressure when you know people are waiting for something and they're going to read it. Then there's there is a yeah, there's a pressure, and when you're writing something in kind of real time and there's stuff happening in the world that is just horrific and just kind of opening up all kinds of historical wounds Mm -hmm. and trauma and all the rest. And you got to put something out that speaks to it. It's a tremendous pressure and it's also an impossible task. And so you have to like grant yourself some grace and room and hold things which is with as much care and love as you can and also kind of let yourself off the hook while, bearing, while being very responsible to your audience. So it's like this mix of things. It's like, I'll do my very best and then I'll let it go. Because I got to do it all again in a day.
3: Right. And there's no perfection, actually,
1: yeah. to be found. There's zero there's zero. I can't say that I actually feel that when I write or put something out. Like, but because I, ha- when I, especially when I was writing like horoscopes every week, and then also statement pieces like essays, is that like you just don't even have time to think about it beyond, is this correct? Is this a decent sentence? Is this, is this cohesive as a statement? And then you just, you can't dwell on it because it's already old by the time you put it out.
3: Do you have um, rules for yourself? Because this it also makes me think that there has to be a fair amount of self care involved. I'm asking, obviously, you know, you know this, but I um, when I put out a book that was speaking to a really painful cultural mm-hmm. moment, I found that people came to me with a lot of pain, mm-hmm. um, a lot of things that were that they felt were reflected in the book, but and they felt seen, but also there was a tremendous amount of trauma. Mm -hmm. there was a tremendous amount of talking to people about their trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were kind of, it was a different way of being in the world than I had ever been. Mm. And it seems to me that that might happen to you a lot because you are directly speaking to them in a way that even I wasn't, I was writing a memoir, but you are directly speaking to their lives. Um, And I'm curious if you have sort of, rules for yourself or or kind of methods of self-care that you enact for yourself when I'm out in the world and if that yeah or, yeah when you're out in the world and people are are kind of asking you um are kind of they you feel the level of need that people have because I feel like it, it, people need a lot right now and because when we, we mm-hmm. all deserve so much frankly Um yeah
1: folks are not okay you know there's a lot of not okay out there and I think it's really important to remember that and you know, the pandemic did so much. And I, I know we talk about that, but I, we have, I don't really think we have any idea what it actually did. And it deepened our relationship to whatever was there. And, uh, I, you know, it's such a moment that we're coming out of and so much got unveiled and uncovered. And so right now, I think that there's just still a lot of that residue. And it's quite invisible now because we've kind of, you know, quote unquote, moved on. But a a lot has shifted for people. So I, you know, when you you put your work out in the world, you're speaking, when you're speaking to people, I mean, I would think, Mira, even with your novels, like with the, the novel before, like, didn't people have the same kind of like when you're telling your story and people can see themselves in your story. Yes. Yeah. I would think people are Uh always like, Oh, I relate. And this is why I relate how I relate. And I just know that it's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. And people are having an experience of themselves in front of me and that it's going to happen. And the, the most, Helpful thing I can do is try to like wrap them up and not, not, uh, it, it just has nothing to do with me. So I, I tend to, you know, give it back to them. And I think it's really important for artists not to take that home and also just to honor the. The, the person in front of you and what's happening for them, but to not feel like it's yours to solve or carry or anything. It's like a human having a human experience. And it's, you know, when you see somebody that's like famous or their work has touched your life, it's just like a kind of thing that happens in us because we're human and we've felt so touched by that work. And so there's a beauty to it. And there's definitely things that can feel exhausting and there's definite need to take care of yourself. I mean, I, but I'm not like y'all. Like I'm not like you know. Y'all are on these circuits. (laughs) You go to conferences. (laughs) You are in front of people like (laughs) night after night after night. Like my writer friends, like poet friends, like the kinds of audience interaction that y'all have. I don't. I don't have it in the same way. So I can only imagine what that is like when you you know, put out a body of work like that, that is so personal and so impactful for people to receive that then you're just like, you know, signing books and you're there and people can emote everywhere. And
3: I mean, I will say you're right that we're that we're out in terms of the impact of the work. I know people who who quite literally align their days with when you're releasing. <laughs> you're, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> when you're releasing your next like the week's horoscope. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pressure there.
1: Really, no pressure. But I'm not in front of audiences like in that way, in, in person, in
3: IRL. Right. You are on yeah. social media a lot though.
1: Yeah, but I don't see those people. Like I
3: don't, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't read the comments. I got, I got so much to work.
1: Like I got so much to do. I can't, you know. Wait, do you really not read the comments? Most of the time, no. Oh, I love this for you. I am not here to manage people's everything.
3: Do you think you got better at that as your reach grew? Yeah.
1: I think it was just, don't you think like when social media happened, especially again, for us Gen Xers who didn't grow up with it, but like when it happened, I think all of us felt this like personal responsibility to talk to people on the internet. And then you're like, slowly like, Oh, I can't talk to these people. I can't (laughs) talk to every, like, this is (laughs) ridiculous. Like, even if you have, you know, 10 followers or something, like, if you don't know them, you can't just have conversations with strangers online and get anything done in your day.
3: Yeah. And I also live with this real juncture. I wonder if you do too. Like, I remember, I remember life before, but I truly (laughs) do. I remember life before the phones. I remember life before. So so I remember the emotions that you did not perform for anyone.
1: Yes. And I remember moving
3: through whole emotional states that were in no way packaged for anyone else's consumption. Oh my God, exactly. And exactly. so part of, like, I guess part of what I'm asking about a little bit is because it is so jarring to me, um, mm-hmm. this idea that, that, you, that you're supposed to take other people's emotions and help them package them um, mm. and help them make sense of them. And you're as you concurrently narrate your own like it just feels like a lot of hats, right? Yeah, that's not it.
1: That's not it. You're not a therapist. That's not your like that's that's not your role. Your role is as as writer, as artist, as commentator, as storyteller. And everybody else's reaction to the work is theirs, and they have friends, and they can get a therapist. You know, it's like we all need to take care of ourselves. That's what it means to become adults. That's what. It means to recreate the world is to do everything we can to become the adults that we wish we had. Mm. We desperately need that. This goes back to your first
0: <laughs> yeah. the first thing My we were thesis. talking about. My right? life thesis. Yeah, yeah, this is your life thesis.
3: <laughs> but it really does. It goes right back to meeting, mm-hmm. you said it was your dad's second wife. Second wife's mom. Sorry, My Okay.
1: second. <laughs> so you know, step grandmother of of second father's other okay. families. I love. Or, I no, love how many. Yeah. Whatever.
3: Yeah. So you met this. You you met her at a point where it was yeah. obviously really pivotal for you, and it changed your life. I'm so curious, just to circle back a little bit. If you, if 11 year old Channy would be meeting Channy today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. If she would have met that person, if 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 the you that you are today would have been an adult in her life, what would she have made of you?
1: You know what's wild? I actually had the wherewithal as like a ten year old, like right before my dad left his second wife. That that was his third wife, anyways. Um I remember being about 10, 9, 10, and having, I visualized myself as an older person, and I had a braid, (laughs) very specific, my hair, her hair, my older me had a braid going down her back, like a French braid, and older me would sit at the end of my bed and talk to me and console me.
3: Oh, I love that for both of you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I had a lot. I had a lot of that in my fantasy world. So, I mean, I think younger, I mean, that's the work I try to do every day is that's what I was doing today when I was writing. I was writing to that younger me like, hey, I'm here. I love you. Like, I'm going to give you everything you need. Like, you don't have to look anywhere else for it. No one else is going to give it to you, actually. And. I know you didn't get it from anybody else, but I'm here to give it to you. And it's like the work of talking to those young parts of self that didn't get what they needed is like one of the most important things that I can do in my day is talk to those parts of me and just be like, I know you didn't have it, but all I can do right now is be what you didn't have. And be relentless in my ability to hold space for you and remind you that you can relax now and you're safe. Like I'm safe.
2: Thresholds is produced by Jordan Kissner and Drew Broussard. Music and editing by Laura Faye Osherwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Laura Grossman. Special thanks to our hosts at Lithub Radio. You can find more about our show, listen to past episodes, and get in touch at our website. This is Thresholds.com. Don't forget to rate and review our show at Apple Podcasts. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with quins.